Good morning and welcome again to Trinity Heights Virtual Service. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. And today we are in part four of our series in 1 Corinthians. So let me begin by reviewing where we've been so far. In week one, we said that Paul, who was emotionally invested in the church in Corinth, because he planted the church in Corinth, was saddened to find that these people who he loved and cared about were at each other's throats, divided over numerous issues. But Paul sees these seemingly separate issues are actually all connected. And so instead of just addressing each issue individually, giving them different sets of instructions or directions for each case, Paul wants to draw them a map. He's in a sense lifting them up from their petty squabbles and giving them the view from 50,000 feet so that the congregation can be swept up into this great cosmic drama around Christ. In week two, we looked at how Paul repeatedly addresses the church as saints or sanctified people, people called to be holy and set apart in Jesus Christ. But not set apart as in having, in, in the sense of having a privileged position over and against the rest of the world, but like Christ, his followers are to be the bridge between heaven and earth reminding the world of God's presence, reminding the world of God's purpose. In week three, we considered how by following Jesus, we are called into relationship with each other, where all the divisions, the way we identify other people and ourselves using race and class and gender, these identities are all superseded by our mutual identification with each other, not as members of the same race, or members of the same class or gender, but as members of the same body, the body of Christ, the church. So Paul says, let me draw you a map. If you follow Jesus, this is your relationship to the world. If you follow Jesus, this is your relationship to each other. And this week, we will hear Paul say, look, if you follow Jesus, then this is your place in the flow of human history. About four months ago now, as lockdown began, we considered how Paul talks about the cross in Corinthians. Today I want to return to that passage where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. If you remember, we said that the terms Christ crucified and crucifixion and the cross used in Corinthians, are being used in a very specific way. They're being used apocalyptically. I know when we talk about apocalyptic and apocalypse, people often start to think of the world coming to an end, the collapse of the space-time universe, the end of all things. Uh, a number of years ago, a lot of Christians were reading the Left Behind series, uh, a series of novels, uh, and apparently there were several movie versions made of those novels, including uh, a recently one by Nicolas Cage. And in these movies, the world is coming to an end. The Christians are being raptured away from Earth as the world meets its final doom. 
This is what a lot of people think of when they hear the word apocalypse. But this view of apocalypse doesn't actually come as sort of unvarnished truth plucked straight out of the Bible. We've actually inherited this idea from somewhere else entirely. And because this view of apocalypse has exerted such a powerful influence over large swathes of the, the church in America and elsewhere, I just want to take a moment to trace this idea about apocalypse back to its origins, if only so that we can set it aside and hear Paul's apocalyptic language afresh. So where did this understanding of apocalypse come from? Why did it become so prevalent? Every idea has its own history, and we can actually trace it back to a place in Germany known as Bayreuth. And every year they hold what's known as the Bayreuth Festival, which is a musical festival, I guess the original sort of Woodstock or something like that, only for classical music. And it still takes place today in Germany. It was originally conceived of by the composer Richard Wagner, who actually specially designed and constructed the theater where it takes place. Among the people attending this first great festival were the composers Tchaikovsky and Liszt, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and the massively influential German theologian Albert Schweitzer. And I know you think I'm going to talk about Nietzsche, but actually today I'm more interested in Albert Schweitzer. Because Schweitzer was the one who thought that New Testament apocalypse meant the end of the space-time universe. He was the one who said, oh, Jesus thought the end of the universe was coming, and then it didn't. And the early church thought the world was going to meet its doom, and then it didn't. Now, there's no doubt that Schweitzer was a brilliant scholar, and so he wielded a lot of influence. And in response to this view of what apocalypse meant that he put forward, without ever calling it into question, without asking how we arrived at this conclusion, we just sort of accepted it and responded to it in different ways. Many theologians on the more theologically liberal end said, ah, well, God does not act in history after all. And fundamentally said, oh, yes, he does. Watch us all get raptured while the world meets its doom. But either way, Schweitzer's understanding of apocalypse became the standard meaning. But here's a twist in the tale. Schweitzer didn't get his view of apocalypse from the New Testament. He got it from Richard Wagner at the Bayreuth Festival, where Wagner staged his ring cycle for the very first time. The ring cycle, as you probably know, is not a setting on your washing machine. It's an opera by the composer Wagner. It takes place over four nights, five hours each night. I've not been brave enough yet to sign up for that. And one of the most important ideas in the whole of Wagner's ring is the sense of the world coming to an end. Books written about this opera have titles like Finding an Ending and I Saw the World End. Now, Albert Schweitzer, as a young man, overwhelmed by Wagner in general and the ring cycle in particular, went to the ring cycle, all 20 hours of it, no fewer than three times. And you know what he was doing at the same time? He was authoring his books on Jesus and Paul. The imminent end of the world was not, in other words, a first century Jewish idea which Schweitzer had discovered in the New Testament. It was actually 
a piece of late 19th century German mythology being channeled through Wagner and superimposed by Schweitzer onto the New Testament and which we inherited. But if you remember, we said a few months ago, Jesus and the early church didn't think in those kinds of categories. Apocalypse in Jewish thought had nothing to do with the end of the space-time universe. It was actually a political category, which was waiting for a confrontation of the powers of this world with the power of God, the kingdom of God, to invade the kingdoms of this world. And as a result, our world, this place, our relationships would be changed and transformed. Now, Jewish people of the first century, they debated how to help this project and confrontation move forward. The Sadducees collaborated with Rome. The Pharisees urged Israel to obey Torah more strictly. The revolutionaries sharpened their swords. But no matter which way you went, apocalyptic in Jewish thinking was a thoroughly political genre. It was about a confrontation of powers, the power of God with the power of these worlds. And, and, and that confrontation would create a major upheaval within the space-time world. And the Christian claim, the incredible Christian claim, is that this apocalyptic confrontation of God has taken place with the powers of this world, and it has happened at the cross. Let me read those words again from Corinthians. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He is in effect dismissing Jewish and Gentile categories of wisdom and strength, foolishness and weakness. And to dismiss these categories of wisdom and strength and foolishness of weakness is to dismiss their whole way of evaluating and classifying and identifying people. It is this dismissal of all other classifications that leads Paul elsewhere to say, look, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. He's not saying that these differences don't exist, but he's saying these differences no longer determine the way we relate to each other. You may have organized your relationships according to these other identities before this event, but now the apocalyptic event of the cross has happened. And post that event, if you understand what it means, if you have any inkling of what it means, you will organize your relationships differently. So for example, to illustrate this, we may have all crammed into a subway car pre-coronavirus, but post-coronavirus, well, we relate differently to each other. Well, it's like that, only in reverse, uh, because rather than distancing us from each other, the elimination and supplanting of all these values, this apocalyptic event of the cross, actually draws us closer to each other. When Christians have dared to ignore this part of the Christian narrative, it is devastating consequences, one which we still live with the repercussions of today. It was under this assumption, that this basic gospel assumption, that Richard Allen and Absalom Jones and a number of other black Christians knelt 
in the gallery of St. George's Church for prayer one Sunday in 1787. Alan and Jones were both born into slavery and had met each other while in the fields of Delaware, where they both joined the Methodist Church. In Alan's case, religious conversion led directly to legal freedom. Jones had to wait several years before gaining his. But as free men, Alan and Jones both met again in Philadelphia, where they acquired wealth and became men of means and joined the congregation of St. George's Methodist Church. But while Alan and Jones and a number of others together knelt there in the gallery of St. George's for prayer that fateful Sunday in 1787, white church leaders attempted to pull them off their knees and move them to another part of the church. These people were essentially declaring that there is such a thing as a white church. And it is out of this rejection that Jones and Allen, some 25 years later, founded the African Methodist Episcopalian Church. And so we now have this, we live with this idea in our heads about there being a black church and a white church. But as one friend has said many times, there's no such thing as a white church or the black church. That's an entirely artificial construct because there is only the church, the body of Christ. Actually, it's not just an artificial construct. It's a demonic construct that denies the image of God in each other, which Christ was contending for on the cross. It pretends the apocalyptic moment hasn't happened and carries on rooting our identities in all these other things. Part of the way healing can take place is by the church recognizing how it came to be divided in the first place in America. As we've already said, every idea has its history. And this is the history of that idea. This poisonous idea didn't emerge because black Christians were in pursuit of identity politics. It was white Christians who were playing identity politics and created this schism in the first place. Recognizing this is really important if any healing is gonna take place. But the really deep healing will take place when we recover the apocalyptic understanding of the cross and realize that this is the wonderful place that everything is heading and live together in that direction. Let it be so.